Hello and welcome to the High Wide and Handsome podcast, episode 51, featuring the exiled Robin F.I. a.k.a. Paul. Paul was a brilliant guest, really, really great, um, perfectly timed by chance, not by design, in the wake of the Adam Cole Q&A and also the, the whenever they took the dividends back after accidentally paying them out. Uh, Paul has experience as a marketing and comms professional, so he was exactly the man for the podcast, and I'd love to have him on again in the future. He really was a great guest. I can't emphasize that enough. Very exciting week ahead of us here with this La Liga coming back, and then the week after, I suppose, with the Premiership, and do you know football's coming back, and it's brilliant. Do you know there's a lot going on in football index, and it's a very exciting time. If you haven't already got your data guy or your data stats provider for Football Index, I'd highly, highly recommend Football Index Edge. It's what I use. The link to sign up to Football Index Edge is in the description of this podcast. You get two weeks for free for just signing up. And you know you can go and see for yourself. There's some cracking spreadsheets, some downloadable content, and all the data and stats you need to be an effective trader on Football Index. And lastly, I just want to thank Footstock, the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, you're probably sick of hearing them about them by now, but honestly, it's just such a fun platform, and that's why it's been it's been taken to by storm, by most of the, a lot of the football index community. It's uh, you mean you can trade on it like you do in football index. You can just outright gamble if you want. There's a bit of a top trumps element. There's a collecting cards element, and there's a huge FPL element. Among everything else, do you know, and I could sit and try and describe it to you, or you could just use the link in the description, sign up, you get 50 free bonus cards, a tenner's worth of tournament coupons, for free, and go and see for yourself. You might hate it, you might love it, but why not find out? And if you use that link, I get something back. Same with the Football Index Edge, I get something back. I'm going to affiliate with them both, but I'd never sell you something I didn't believe in. I've been selling food stock for, what, six, seven, eight months now? And if you'd have bought at the start when I told you to, I mean, your collection value probably would have doubled, tripled at least. At least, actually. Um, so honestly, just trust me on this one. These are products I genuinely believe in. I promise you I will never sell you something I don't believe in myself or use myself. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Have a great week. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And uh, yeah, next week's an exciting one, the, the one-year anniversary of the show. Now I'm joined by the exiled Robin F.I., a.k.a. Paul. Paul, how's things? Uh, good, John. Thanks, and you? I'm great, I'm great. Dying of hay fever, as the listeners will probably hear, but other than that, all's good. I've got about two weeks of work, two weeks off work coming up. Oh, very nice. Which is just, nice. Now, just as the sun's gone in. Just as the sun's gone in, exactly. Now, to be fair, I had about ten days off there as well. There's just no planes in the sky, so air traffic controllers aren't really needed, but I'm, I'm having a ball, you know? More time yeah. for podcasts and yeah. streaming and shit like that. Before we even get into anything, Paul, the name, The Exile Robin, what's the story? I mean, a quick Google search sort of told me that a Robin is on Bristol City's crest. Yeah. Why were you exiled? So um, i from Bristol originally, lifelong Bristol City fan, moved to South Wales about 17, 18 years ago of work and up near Cardiff. So when I kind of started to use Twitter way 10, 11 years ago back, it just, and I started my own blog on, on City, so it just seemed like a good name. Yeah, I'm, I'm still there, but exiled, and it's just, uh, you know, it's like it's stuck from there. I've built up a good following, um, you know, on Twitter and Facebook using it, so it's all across all the all the media. So I think when I uh, did that on my normal Twitter account, that, that's standard, and then I joined FI, it just seemed like the natural sort of thing to call me on there as well. And I was, you know, trying to bring in some City fans into the mix as well. 
You see, it, it seemed quite random to someone like me who has no idea about Bristol City, but it seemed like a really just random Twitter handle. You know, people click on all <laughs> sorts of things for their FI Twitter handle, but whenever I actually just quick Google search, it made a lot of sense. I think it's a really good name. Do you still blog much? Blog less. Um, so yeah, I think Twitter being the, the micro blog it is, it's easy just to tweet now a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but I still do occasionally. I did an interview this summer with uh, Aidan Flint, who used to play for us, did that via email, um, do the old feature interview. And I tend to sort of go on sort of every few months when there's major news or major thing just to um, give my view. But to be honest, it's more time than anything else. I just spend more time on Football Index now and on other things and uh, don't really get the time to sit there and write. Because it's, you know, it's a good couple of hours to write a, a decent blog and check it and proofread it. Uh, but no, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I've got a decent following on Twitter. So whenever I post, I get a lot of responses and a lot of interaction. That takes up a lot of time as well. Um, and same on Facebook. So spend far too much time on social media. And uh, yeah, could probably do less of it. Yeah, I think I'm the same. You can probably hear my dog going crazy. Yeah, just about. <laughs> yeah. I'll edit it out for when you were speaking, but they're going to hear me. I'm just very excited because I went a bit impulsive recently, Paul. And okay. sorry, I'm kind of flying on past your blog in there because my dog's distracting me. <laughs> I went under one of the, this site called Charity Stars. Now, someone's probably going to tell me it's a hoax now and I've, I've just wasted like a grand, but I got a bit of money and I got a bit excited and I've decided I'm going to kit this little room out as my little kind of podcast YouTube den. So I went and bid on some, like for charity, yeah. some replica shirts. So I've been waiting for them for a few weeks. So every time a dog barks, I'm expecting a delivery man <laughs> with a handful of like, si- I got a signed Ronaldo shirt, like um Brazilian fat Very Ronaldo. Nice. I got, uh who else did I get? Haji. I signed yeah. Beckham training jersey. Wow. Um, I got a few big ones, like, do you know? And I'm afraid, I am genuinely shitting myself that it's actually just like a con website. <laughs> I didn't really do much due diligence and I'm kind of just excited for something to come so I don't want to waste my money. But um, I suppose, do you want to maybe go into that football index story? You said that it's kind of taken up a bit of time from the blogging. Like, wh- how long have you been on? Any significant milestones, highlights, lowlights? Just a bit of a monologue about it for you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think first of all, I, I think when I think back, I've probably been seeing ads for a good year or so. So I'm on Twitter and Facebook a lot, and I'm sure the amount of posts about football and the amount of, you know, the old bit of posting about fantasy league and that sort of thing, I must have seen ads. And I kept, I think I did keep seeing stuff. And yeah, you know, like anyone, I think you just kick yourself you didn't get on it earlier. Um, I eventually joined. I think it was March, March last year. Um, so I've been on just over 12, well, 12, 15 months now. Um, I sort of started, like, I guess, like a lot of people, 500 quid in, um, thinking, oh, I could uh, take that back in seven days if I need to, and you, you never look back. Um, I think early on, I think, yeah, I guess, again, like a lot of people, I probably, you know, made a lot of irregular mistakes. I sort of went in and went, okay, you know, Eden Hazard's moving to Madrid, I'll sign him for media, and I'll sign Pogba, he's always in media, and Neymar and Messi, and spent the next three months watching them all fall. Uh, Hazard in particular, who <laughs> dropped off a cliff for uh, injuries and a transfer to Madrid, like, Totally not understanding how the index worked, I think, you know, not yeah. thinking further ahead of the cycles. Um, but then I countered that with what my knowledge of watching Bristol City play, and I watch as many games as I can live, and, uh, you know, the rest on telly is decent knowledge of championship players. So I got in quite, you know, the sort of best of a championship last year. I've probably got 10, 12, 14 championship players all around the pound mark, March, April time. You know, the likes of Tammy Abraham, Reese James, Jared Bowen, um, Twan Zabi, Che Adams, people like that who look set for transfers and you know they were the greens in my portfolio to counter the reds of the others but I was probably fairly flat for three months three or four months um eventually got out of some of those players when they transferred got out of Tammy and got out of Reese James 
before their price doubled and trebled at the start of this season. Yeah. But, again, learnings, learnings there, I think, about what to do going forward. Um, I think the big, I think the big mistake I made early on, I think it was a deposit bonus last, a deposit bonus or a dividend change last April. I can't remember exactly what it was. But I remember was sitting it, there one last, evening. Last April, was it the share split? No, it was after that. I joined our post-share split. Oh, did um, you? There was something April time. I remember sitting there. It was one of those where we shut the market down for half an hour. Happy announcement. And I sort of, oh, you know, it was a good opportunity here. And I did the classic mistake, switched on, saw all the players flashing green, bought more Neymar, more Pogba, and, you know, not knowing what I know now, you buy them at your peak, people suddenly start selling off and, again, lost lost a bit more money on them. So learning, learning sort of all the time. Uh, and then since then, I've really just sort of invested as and when with the deposit bonuses. I've tried to, do, you know, make the most of those, um, taking a bit of money out of, property here and there and added it to football index and watch the cycles a little bit sort of the way the champions league semis and the final work last year i thought was interesting you know, the way those players boomed and, and fell around um you know missed out on the sort of summer rises all the youngsters or the sort of unknown youngsters the greenwoods and the brewsters and people like that um yeah and and really just tr- all the time i think constantly evolving um i think when i first really started to get hands on it i Spent a fair bit of time late summer holidays looking at the new season and the, the IPD holds and the PBE players. So I went and got a load of Leon players, Wolfsburg and Atalanta, some German youngsters. And for six weeks, was absolutely flying, did really well. But then I think the first international break came along and then I was suddenly stuck with 40, 50 players in my port who all just sort of slowly started to plateau or slowly started to fall. Yeah. And again, no one wanted to buy them. So I ended up with about 250 players at one point, sort of around Christmas time. And you know when you see uh, something coming through on index going, oh, this person's risen, this person's fallen. I was looking at them going, are they still in my port? I can't remember if they're still in my port or not. I didn't keep track of it. And so I made an active decision kind of end of the year, January, to really try and trim the port down, really try and get ahead of the cycles a little bit, um, thinking it'd be a nice normal season. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, February time, I started buying into the youngsters. So I was trying to get in four or five months ahead of a June, July boom. So I was sort of buying the likes of Curtis Jones and Billy Gilmore and James Garner and people like that, just trying to anticipate that potential big rise in June, July. Um, worked well with Billy Gilmore, obviously, because it was before, yeah. his, before his cup game. Even um, Curtis Jones, he got a nice rise, I'd say, from then, did he? He had about a pound, pound on a day, didn't he, I think, from that one game. So, mm. yeah. So, yeah, I sort of feel like I was starting to learn what to do about the product. I mean, obviously saw what was going to come with Corona, probably listed all my Serie A players about three or four days too late, just as everyone else was starting to do it, and didn't really then forward anticipate what was going to happen with the you know, Premier League and the other leagues. And I think you know a lot of people probably made a lot of money instant selling at that time, getting out just in time and then reinvesting afterwards. But um, yeah, I've got to kind of, I do it for fun, partly. I do it for, to make money, obviously, like all of us, but uh, I do do it for fun. And I, yeah, fairly relaxed style about it. I don't spend hours and hours and hours pouring over data. I don't spend lots of time investigating markets and how markets work. I just go a bit, bit of hunch, bit of data, bit of sentiment, bit of advice, bit you know, here, bits here and there, and just getting a better feel for the product. Really, I think that happens with time. I think with time, you can you can start to just kind of keep the ear to the ground, and through different people's posts, that you know who to take with a pinch of salt. You know who maybe to put a bit more, I don't know, faith in. The sentiment, the comments that are here, you know, you do a quick um search on edge or gain or whatever, and you find, you know, okay, okay, the data is there. Then you go into whatever flash score, see how many minutes they're playing, check the position, check this, check that, 
And, you know, you fly around these different things mm. very quickly. You can build a pitcher and a player. When at the start, that pitcher would take a lot longer to get and it might be a shit drawing. Do you know what I mean? You, it mightn't actually be what you expect. Yeah. And I think something that you alluded to kind of a couple of times there that I think is a nice talking point. You mentioned about kind of the cycles and like, do you know, the, the Champions League final and the Europa League final and the sort of semis and stuff and how those those prices increase rapidly coming up to those and also kind of with the transfers you know with like players who they get their transfer and maybe you sold them or they they get the recall like tammy abraham mm. or reese james or whatever and you said you kind of sold them before they doubled their treble thinking that's it i think that happens quite a lot with transfers where people happen with bruno too people get the transfer and people think all right that's it it's only downhill from here it's all the hype and what both those things have in common is timing the sale because the transfer there's a lot of timing around selling there and i mean I know it can be very circumstantial. Like sometimes players come when they set the world out and sometimes they come when they flop. But again, with the Champions League as well, the reason I think it's a common theme is in the Champions League, there can be a bloodbath as soon as the game's over mm. uh, if you're t- if the player yeah. is in the team that lost. So it's again, do you sell before kickoff? Do you not? How have you found time in sales across the board, not just in those two circumstances, but I suppose over the 12 months or whatever you've been here, 12, 15 months, how have you found learning how to sell because that's quite often the biggest question beginners have like when do you sell yeah and i see that a lot i'm quite active on the facebook group and on twitter and you see a lot of people asking about you know especially the transfer cycle i think you know so my learning on that has been unless you're absolutely convinced in the player is going to fly and looking back i probably should have been more convinced about tammy abraham having watched him for a year at city and you know seen how good he was Che Adams is the best example. He was the best forward I saw in the championship last year. He had it, he had it all. He's good in the air, pacey, two feet, shoot, did everything. I thought he was going to do well at Southampton, but he hasn't. He's not scored a goal and he struggled. So, you know, he probably isn't quite at that class level where you've got to think, you know, they're going to they're gonna do well, whatever they do. Um, Reese James is saying, I saw him play last April at Ashton Gate and he was just 19-year-old, captain of Wigan, central midfield, ran the game, scored two great goals. I should have put half a mortgage on him then, to be honest, and uh, known him <laughs> well. But I think, yeah, the site, I think for me, the typical transfer, you want to get out a day or two before it's confirmed. Um, I think the exceptions to that are someone like a Bruno, obviously, now. You know, people just going to Man United, you're going to keep getting... It, I guess it depends what's going to happen afterwards. Shea Adams wasn't going to get anything afterwards unless he scored goals. Bruno, going to Man United, you know he's going to have a two weeks' worth of media now afterwards where he look at the school he went to and his first girlfriend or whatever else they're going to look at and yeah. talk about him for you know, God knows how long. So it's a bit judging. Um, and I think the game, same with games, I, I'm i very much now looking to get ahead and get out before kickoff. I think, you know, not risk whether someone scores or doesn't score or gets a red card or whatever. I think take your rise, take your profits, move on. If they score a hat trick and add a pound to their price, you've just got to take it on chin and know you've made a nice bit of money out of it and know you've anticipated that cycle well. And, you know, I think I've done that a few times with, you know, players and my, my one of my main was at Sancho. I bought into Sancho probably this time last year, as a lot of people do at the start. Then sold him whenever it was January, February for about eight pound twenty just before the firmest of my United links came and he shot up by two quid and kept looking at him going, Oh, I've missed, I've missed, I've missed and then bit the bullet again and signed him back for about eleven quid, you know, eleven fifty and obviously have done well since. So again, I think people are probably sometimes afraid to go back in on a player that they've already bought and sold and yeah. That's probably not, again, you've got to, it's a bit like playing cricket. You've got to treat every ball as a new ball. You've got to treat every day as a new day. And if, you know, you might have sold Sancho yesterday, but if you see something else today and it's suddenly worth buying him again, you've got to look at buying him, I think, and see it see it in that way. 
a lot of people I find beginners in particular tend to put too much emphasis on their initial buy price and that is kind of like a massive anchoring point for them it's the first time they bought and they you know they maybe even try and buy if, if that player's dropped they try and buy more to reduce their average loss which is absolutely fucking insane yeah or if they buy him for a quid and now he's 250 they'll begrudge buying more if they think he could be seven quid it's like you need like Haaland people bought him at 94p yeah. people bought him at a pound yeah you know and then he jumped to his what 220-ish or something after another great performance and then he jumped to three quid and you know if you said I bought him at 94p and you were like no I'm not buying anymore geez he was 94p and it's that anchoring effect in your head that you've missed the boat that I don't want to buy him for two quid when I got him for 94p blah 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 I think you need to really just kind of forget about your initial buy price and analyze the player then and there yeah. on that day. Would you buy them at that price if you had never held them before? Maybe yeah, yeah definitely. All biases. I think it's all it's easier said than done, though. Definitely a bit of that. Of course, it's definitely. I think there's a bit of, bit of a, not wanting to ruin your ROI. You know, there's a lot of people love posting yeah, screenshots yeah. and love saying I've made six hundred percent on a player. And I think you see some of the bigger players who've been on the index three or four years who you know bought Neymar. At, one pound fifty pre-share split and have made fortune on him, and you kind of you want that, but that's not to say that Neymar eight pound ten isn't a good buy, as you say. It's you've got to you've got to go on the day. And my idea now, and again, I think where I've changed in the last three or four months is, I probably held a very similar number of stocks in the all those top players just as a as an anchor almost in my portfolio, and I've just been adding and adding to it because they're clearly where yeah, there's a lot of good value in it. I've probably moved from ten percent in the top. 20 players into about 25% I port in the last three months. Obviously, they've been flying with media and everything else, so it's, it's done well the last three months. But, yeah, I think there's a, sometimes you don't want to ruin that number, and I think, yeah, that's just, again, the wrong decision if that player is the right player to buy. And I've never held Haaland. I've never bought him. Every time I've looked at him, I think he's too highly priced, and I've never actually dived in and got it. But, you know, you go on other players, and you've just got to take that, that, that decision as you go. Um, yeah, and I think... I think there's a, sometimes a lot of bias on the market. When you look at Slack and you look at Twitter, and you see the, the heavy traders talking about stuff, people who know the markets, know their trading styles, know all this. And there's a lot of, I think, following that goes on with them. And, you know, it's hard if you're not a trader to do that because you don't really have the base knowledge to, to do it on. You've got, to, you've got to go a bit more on gut feel and your, your quick sofa score search and whatever it might be just to do it. Because if you try and follow, you're not going to know why you're buying, when you're buying, or when to get out. And it's, you know, it's hard to, hard to do that sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with everything you were saying there. And um, I think maybe time-wise, it's time to move on to kind of the guts of the first half of the show anyway, which is kind of recent FI events. There's a lot happened this week, and then we'll get into questions. And we'll try and aim for about the R mark. This, I suppose this question that Vespasian put in pretty much summarises most of what we're going to talk about for the first half. So I'll read this out just because I've, I was looking through the questions, and we're going to answer his question anyway. So I may as well ask it for him. Vespasian, a comms pro, I think this is perfectly timed. Please tell us what you think of comms in general from Football Index and then a little more detailed insight into the recouping of dividends error and the Q&A last night. Cheers. Um, so that Q&A was what? It was two nights ago now for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just thought I'd read that out for him. I mean, we'll, we'll start with the recouping of the divs and the error they made. What are your what were your initial thoughts on that and, and what are your thoughts now? Has anything changed? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think there's a few elements to it, to be honest. Um, one, I think they'd probably set themselves a wrong precedent previously in just keep paying out money to people on their mistakes. You know, that's 
understandable from a goodwill point of view. I think you tweeted about the goodwill for traders. I get that totally. I think it's okay if it's costing FI 20 grand, 30 grand. You can take that on the chin. I think relating to their general comms, you go on a bit, you know, what happens when that costs them 300 grand or 400 grand? They're not going to take it on the chin. It's, it was always going to come to a an issue at some point, which is going to cost them far too much money. And they were going to have to do something about it that was going to negatively affect. So I think there's a precedent there which people just assumed it would be fine. Um, ultimately, I think FI still make too many mistakes on those sort of processes and the dividend payouts and not paying out and not sorting stuff out before midnight, whatever it might be. Their processes don't quite seem robust enough to get these timed changes sorted and understand what's going on in their own internal systems. They've got to sort that out. They can't They can't keep doing this. They can't have a 200 grand payout every time the promotion ends and then try and claw it back. Um, so you question what you do there. But I think what they did was clear. I think it was understandable. Um, I think what we've done now is put a line in the sand and said yeah. that if this happens, we will be reclaiming it. And it is what you expect from a standard bookie. Yeah, if a standard bookie pays out a bonus wrongly or does something wrong, they will claim it back, whether you like it or not. Um, they don't. I don't think FI want to be like a standard bookie, but they've got a business to run and they can't say what they've got to fundamentally sort out is stopping the mistakes happening mm. to stop these issues and stop these errors. But I think for me, it's it was clear enough. Yeah, it's going to piss some people off, of course, especially the bigger traders who have 10,000 Sancho shares and are repaying a huge amount of money. But um you, I don't think there's been a massive adverse reaction to it, to be honest. There's a few comments, and I think people have moved on already. I think it'd be interesting to see, again, what, what's next? Is it is it a week from now, or a month from now, or, or six months from now, where a similar issue happens? And they've got to be consistent now in their messaging and do the same thing. Yeah. I think I think when it initially happened, I was sitting there on my break and work, and I was looking at my phone, and I, I didn't see their their actual post initially. I'd seen that morning a few people saying, oh, they've overpaid. And I was thinking, geez, this must be what the Q&A is about. Maybe they're going to extend this or something. But then I was thinking, mm. why would they not have done it beforehand to drum up some excitement? So I was thinking it must be a mistake. And then I was thinking about it and, and all these people posting about saying, like, you know, people on Twitter are not happy about it, rightly or wrongly, initially. It's the people who are fucked off that are initially going to tweet. And I was reading it mm. and I was looking at it thinking, do you know what? With the Q&A tonight, with the positive place and the, the momentum the index has at the minute, football coming back, you know, they're going to be putting a bit more into the market and hopefully, you know, matches will be there, more people will sign up, blah, blah, blah. For all it's worth, why risk the shit show? Like, just fucking leave it out, say, look, goodwill, we'll leave it, but blah, blah, blah. So that was my initial thoughts. But then I did a quick bit of bromads. Like, it, it might have been terrible. I literally just kind of very quickly looked at, like someone said, I think it was like Sancho or Havertz. Someone was rubbed a 2p, someone was rubbed a 3p, and three people got a penny they shouldn't have or something. Mm. And I, I just kind of very quickly picked a random IPO price for each of those players, worked out how many shares were in the market, worked out how much would have been paid out by FI based on the current buy price. And I, I came in and around the 65k mark. So when I seen that and I was thinking about it, do you know, I think it is fair that they did what they did, do you know, and, and they obviously did their little risk sort of management, their risk assessment about like how much could this potentially shaft us from a, a an optics thing versus yeah, the money. You, yeah. They obviously deemed it necessary or, or risk acceptable from a risk standpoint to recoup that money. And they were right because it's it, it blew over within ours, really. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought at the start it would be a bit of a mistake and I thought initially that there would have been a bigger reaction but do you know they're right and I think they do need to draw the line in the sand because as the index does grow there will come a time where 
hopefully where Sancho's worth 50 quid now, that'll be a share split or two down the line. And there's so many tens of or millions of shares of Sancho out there that if they make a mistake, it could cost them hundreds of thousands. And yeah, exactly. as you say, there, there, there was always inevitably going to be that point where so his goodwill can only go so far. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, having lived in a corporate world, you can imagine how previous ones they've kind of gone to their boss and gone, you know, should we do this? And they, you know, whether it's Mike or Adam, you know, probably Mike, you know, yeah, yeah, go, you know, do that. Let's do that. I'll just copy in the boss and let them know. I can imagine this one. They went, this has cost us a bit. What do you reckon? And whether it's Adam again, maybe just said, no, not this time. Let's get it back. Let's put a statement out. Let's let's put our foot down because that's how CEOs have got to act. You know, they've got to protect their their bottom line as well as their mm. as well as their brand. So it was probably a big call, but I can imagine it was made at that level, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if 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 sixty five k is even close, it might be way too much or way too little. But I mean, that's probably one or two people's salaries for the year. Do you know, yeah, exactly. for them, do you know, it's exactly. a substantial amount of money. Um. The the next thing we move on from that, I suppose, to the the bigger thing, the the Adam Cole Q and A. I'll go through the initial, the points within it afterwards, but maybe we talk. No, we'll go through the the points first, and yep. then maybe we'll we'll talk about how it was taken by the community and what you think and what I think. Now this is, as you can hear, I've got a little piece of paper, right? I kind of just jotted down kind of bullet points when I was just looking through um Adam Cole's tweet replies and stuff. Yeah. So this is like no by no means structured in any way. Probably could have done a better job as a podcast guy, but you know what I'm like by now. So he said on expansion, quarter four of 2020, absolute earliest is one of the things I said. Pulled liquidity is a large preference, but by no means guaranteed. And um, Some can't, some countries cannot be pulled. Some might be able to be pulled, but none are guaranteed. And he drilled home on that in a couple of posts. So I think a big thing for me that I took out of it was expansion, Later in the year, at the absolute earliest, realistically, probably 2021, if he's saying that, and pulled liquidity, absolutely, by no means guaranteed. He really mm. hit that home. Did you have any thoughts on that part of it? No, I think I think in terms of the timing, it was important to give that timing, because they previously suggested you know, summer, and we're now in summer, and obviously world events have taken over, we all understand that, so I think it was a valid um, update to give on FI's part, just, you know, you want to manage expectations, but you, you've got to be realistic as well. You don't want to keep saying, oh, yeah, it's soon, it's soon, and knowing deep down it's six, six, seven months away. So I think that was obviously worth saying. I think the pool liquidity bit, um, again, I think my take is you've got to be you've got to be honest with people. And FI is a product almost like no other. You know, he's not he's not empty of Coca-Cola where you just release a new flavor and you know you leave your brands and sales team to it. It's it has people have personal investment in it to a massive degree, and you've got to You've got to give people probably a little bit more information than they ideally like because you want to invest, you want to encourage your investment. It's a blow, I think, to people who had anticipated, you know, Germany's going to open up and they're going to have all these players like Sancho and Havertz and people like that exploding through German um, German involvement or whoever it might be. But again, I think it's got to be the right thing to tell us. Um, should he have had a bit more information on it before he came on a QA? Well, maybe, but I think that's more about the timing of a QA and that, obviously that was probably a deliberate following off of the, the, the order book sort of side of things. So he wanted to do it in a quick basis. Um, I think the issue here is probably, again, it's more a legacy thing. What they've communicated in the last six to eight months is probably more of the issue than what he communicated this week. You know, if he hadn't, if they had inferred different things or inferred there'd be challenges around liquidity going forward, people would have been a bit more tentative on previous Q&As and wouldn't have piled into the German players, etc. 
when that happened and they'd have waited to see what happened. But I think there's certainly been a an expectation from the market that there will be pooled liquidity. And so these top 10, top 20 German players are worth buying. People have bought those shares. And now they're potentially feeling a little bit screwed over by it because it's maybe not happening. So again, I think it's more of an issue what we said previously than what he specifically said on Tuesday, in my view. Um, it, it's a tricky one because you want to update the market. You don't want to be too ambiguous, but if you haven't got actual facts to put forward, it's very difficult to sit on Twitter and do a and a You can't ignore the question. Yeah. So how would you deal with it? It's a it's a challenging one. Um, I say I think for me it's more the hints and the pushes that's happened before was the issue rather than specifically what you said on Tuesday. Yeah, and they've even like they haven't helped themselves. You know, like I think it was now I, I'm going to quote this completely wrong, but I think it might have been before a recent Q and A a few months ago or something. I remember them tweeting something and saying Guten Tag or like mm. saying something German or putting a German flag or like do you know hinting strong. Do you know it wasn't yeah. like like we're not buttering this up and they alluded they might expand and someone did a bit of investigative work and seen that the German domain was open there for the whole community lashed onto this. No, they they have yeah. they have hinted. Do you know they really yeah. have? So I think maybe I mean it's nice that they it's good that he could tell us a rough time. And it's good that he could really maybe squanch some people's certainty or put doubt in people's minds about pool liquidity just to kind of keep expectations realistic. But yeah, I think it is down to, you know, is it good enough based on all the previous comms? Yeah, and I think from a, again, from a communications point of view, I think there's an element of F5 because they're not listed on the stock market. They don't do their reporting in the standard formal way. Um, expansion into a new market is a corporate announcement. You know, if you were in a stock market, you'd be announcing that in your 13 weekly update, in your annual report, whatever it may be, you know, that's where you are. Um, you wouldn't be tweeting it to investors who are going to pile in to players because of it. You'd be, say, formally releasing it to the stock market so that investors can make what they want of it and trade shares in your company actively. I think if we want, again, I think FI stuck a little bit. If you want Adam Cole to be more like that, more formal, then we go to 13 week reports and he treats it in a more corporate stuffy suit led way rather than being more casual on twitter and you don't get the open engagement you had the other night so it, it, it's a tricky one um but i do think if that tweet was i do think sometimes football index don't quite realize the power of their tweets and what they say and the influence it has on people literally selling stuff from around the house to buy more shares and things because they get excited by it and i don't think they fully get that all the time that people are actually investing savings, investing, you know, selling up property and stocks and shares and ISAs to invest in football index based on a tweet saying good and tag. And I think they they don't live that trader life as they probably should from a comms point of view. You know, they think it's quite a bit, bit out there, a bit casual, a bit fun to say good and tag and get everyone excited without probably realising the true implication of what they're doing. Yeah, it's kind of like whenever they, they post the eight rockets which set the precedent, precedent for the, the dividend increase. And then mm. they go and they post rockets again in any and number. And counting the rockets to work out what it might be. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, I don't, yeah, maybe they don't understand the power that's in their hands at times. The The next thing that I've seen, and I, I've just got written down here, absolutely not um, in regards to tiered PB and 100% no, like not on the horizon. Yeah. Tiered PB is not even remotely in the thinking. Yeah. Now, never say never. Who knows what happens in five years? But for the foreseeable time, or for the foreseeable future on Football Index, tier PB is not an option. It was strong, wasn't it? He's not 
he hasn't said that about many things in the Q&As I've seen. He's not been so firm in the past. So they've obviously done, I assume, some sort of investigation into that, some sort of project, and just for whatever reason, whether it's a cost point of view, whether it's a, I don't know, system difficulty point of view, I don't know. They've obviously just said, no, not for us. Um, I think it's probably a blow to some people, again, who are buying some players who on the, in the anticipation of it. But again, I don't think there's that many doing that, to be honest, at this stage. Um Again, the worst thing he could have done is said, oh, we'll look at it in the future. That future could be six weeks, six months, six years down the line. I mean, but people start buying Kimmich shares knowing he's going to be the biggest gainer from it. And, and it goes right. So actually, again, he's, he was clear. It's, it's not on the cards. Fine, we move on. Um, I'm sure people will still talk, be talking about it in a few weeks' time because they'll forget what he said. But, you know, he's, we moved on. And what you've got to hope is that any potential dividend investment they were going to make into a system like that is obviously put into a, a reformatted dividend table anyway. I wonder, does that leave the door open for any sort of competitor to come in and do a tier PB style gambling product? Yeah, yeah. Because there's that. a lot of demand for it. Like on Twitter, a lot of people want it, and a few big players would be big advocates for tiered PB. Yeah, yeah, it's, definitely. It's not like it's but just the, a few little trolls are kind of saying, oh, we'd like it. There's a strong feeling within the community that tier PB would be the way to go. So there is. It's such a deeper dividend that, pool, isn't it? Hmm? Deep, you go lower down on the pool, you more players getting it, more, more return. Yeah, yeah, I could see that happening potentially. Uh, You've got to have everything else. I think people talk a lot about competitors, and I know you're a, you're a big fan of one of the hot part competitors. First stock, uh, sign up on the link in the description. <laughs> first platform ever. But uh, I think when you see what FI has done over, what is it now, five years, how much work they've had to put into it, how much investment they've had to put into it, it's not easy for someone just to come in and do something. It's not an easy thing to come and do. And a new B will have the same issues that FI have had in terms of tech, in terms of comms, in terms of building a base. So it, it is a risk. It's got to be a risk. I think the big risk, and I think you talked about this before, is that someone like a Paddy Power or a Skybet looks at this and goes, we could do our own version of that and stick £5 million behind it and do a yeah, do a fantastic job. I think that's probably the biggest risk to FI, uh, or Betfair probably is probably a better better analogy for it. Um, so yeah, I think it is possible. But again, you know, we had a was it 57% dividend increase last summer. Yeah. You know, they're going to be planning something, you've got to think upwards of 30 probably percent this year to... to tread water if nothing else and you know if they keep doing that sort of thing they're going to build a lot of loyalty and people will forget these sort of minor minor gripes of things as we go through i think on that just to close on that kind of competitor thing because it's just a point that's come up which is it's it's interesting as hard as it would have been for fi to get to where they are today it would be 10 times harder in my opinion for the second to market or their their direct competitor if someone was doing a very similar product now i don't see footstock as a similar product that that's no. why no. i kind of they're not even comparable comparable in many ways other than their demographic but if someone was to come in with a very similar sort of metric to the, like the pb system or whatever but have a tiered version this is us just completely spitballing this is more than likely never going to happen but for them to get off the ground and get anywhere near the levels they fire at would be so tough because football index already exists yeah and it was already i'd, I'd say it was tough enough for football index in the first place so i'm not worried about competitors um We'll move on. There's, we'll get on to that. There was something about um, dividend increases later, I think. But uh, the next note I have here, as I said, they're a bit all over the place. But we're going to we're gonna embrace that. Do you know, we're going to embrace the, I don't know, the fluid nature of this document in front yeah. of me. No plan to extend IPD length. So that, that's just something I took out of one of the questions. There's no plans for them to extend IPDs. I think he said back to the person's question was something like, would you extend it to 60 or 90 days to give more value to that into the market? Do you know, there's not much trading down there anymore or something. And he was like, no, we've no plan, but thanks for your feedback. We'll look into it, blah, blah, blah. 
So if you're excited about IPDs going to be increased, well, I don't know if we talked about increasing them, but increasing the length of time is not in the plans. I, mean, I think we obviously haven't seen it for three months, but I think there's obviously an active portion of the FI database that trades IPDs. Yeah, they do. They go in on batch days. They sell up before, after, whenever it is, and they try and take what they can. And some just take the cap appreciation from it and don't even take the dividends. But it's, yeah, they anticipate who that's going to be on. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in the next six, eight weeks of all the single game days. Yeah, there's lots and lots of single game days. You'll see a lot of players. I think Kostic rose yesterday in anticipation of his day. You know, it's, um, you know, what it'd be interesting to see is how the match the order book affects that you know before you could kind of do it sell instant sell at a smallish spread if that smaller spread suddenly disappears it might affect the ability to buy in big numbers and then try and sell them and it might affect it slightly but i think it works well i think if i probably make quite a lot of money from the ipd trading the ins and outs on the day and the you know they push that deadline back later for a reason to help with that and for them i think they'll probably they just see it as a a product element a tool that's working very well for them working very well for a lot of traders and there's no reason to really really touch and affect it. I think they know the focus has to be on PB and media and sorting that yeah. element out. And well, I think if they went and put... Because obviously increasing the length of IPDs or actually directly increasing the, the value of each goal or assist, it affects Football Index financially and maybe they feel that financial input would be better affecting PB and MB you know, yeah. from an impact standpoint. Yeah. Because I know if they increased IPD, it wouldn't interest me anywhere near as much as if they increased either of the other two. No, exactly. Particular People PB, trade so. less. You trade yeah. less because you'd look at your port less often. You'd go, okay, let's just buy Jamie Vardy because he's got three months of fixtures. You don't even look at the t- difficulty of fixtures and you just buy him and take a peek at the yeah. goals. And then people would trade less. But at the moment, they're trading in and out of Jamie Vardy and Danny Ings and people like that every 25, 28 days because they just wouldn't bother. That's very interesting, actually. That point there, if it was a three-month thing, you probably wouldn't even look at the fixture difficulty because it's more likely to average out over three months. You're going to play most people at once, yeah. Yeah, so you're just going to buy a prolific goal scorer and it would just yeah. end up being a bit of a bonus dividend for all those like premium holds. So they'd be paying yeah. out fortunes yeah, in Sancho's because if Sancho's getting 35 goal involvements in the first, whatever, six months of a season and three months, I mean, you could get 17, 18p in dividends from IPDs that you're not even buying for. Yeah. You know? So well, yeah, I think maybe yeah, you look sense. at a player. Sorry, you look at a player at the moment. They might have seven games in a month, and two of them are on a Monday or Friday night, and they got yo. Know, they're suddenly worth a massive premium compared to normal. But if it's over three months, it becomes irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. The next thing I have here is that the current IPO system has been improved, but it's not perfect. Uh, they'd be slow on IPOs until Nasdaq. Now he did kind of like when he says slow, they will be ongoing, but very sporadically and. I don't really know what to take from that, but they won't be going balls deep on IPOs until NASDAQ is, is firmly in place, um, yeah. which I think is sort of hopefully for the next season. He said, yeah, that's another point up here, NASDAQ hopefully for a new season. Um, mm. So the IPOs are going to keep keep going with them, apparently on an improved system, but they won't really ramp that up until NASDAQ's in place. How do you feel about that? Do you have much care for IPOs? It depends what you mean by it, doesn't it? If they're talking about one random player that few people have heard of once a week, then it's almost pointless doing it. Yeah, If they've got this you know, short list of the 10 hottest players people want on and they're going to release them once a week, it's a bit different. It'll instill some excitement in the market. But yeah, can the system cope with it? I mean, I know you know, different people, again, are fans of this. I know you've, you've done well out of it in the past. and yeah, I, It's not a great look, in my view, to Football Index, especially for, again, a newcomer 
hasn't experienced very much. When was it? Three months ago, the last one? Three, probably three, four months ago, the last remember. major one. Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. They haven't seen it. But you're suddenly going to look at this and again, you have the same old issues and prices sticking and, you know, you think you're getting a great bit like bit like I said in my first month, you know, you go on, you see all the green, you think, Oh, that's fantastic, I'll get on, and then suddenly you're left with a player thirty P, forty P off their peak and you feel like you feel like you've been shafted. Mm. And I think that's where if you don't know what you're doing, a lot of people would end up being and that can't be a good look for football index, and especially on the new trader side. Yeah. I think I'd be a bit of an advocate for just wait till the Nasdaq thing. Maybe they're a bit afraid that Nasdaq's kicked down the road a bit, but wait until that and in the meantime maybe do I guess with the bit process they've now got on players that is potentially a natural step you know you could pre-bid on prices on a player and yeah <laughs> yeah i like that yeah that that because they're getting their bidding systems in place maybe they could if you get them you get them if you don't you don't it's about your judgment of the value in the market and i think i can see that appealing to the big traders as well but you know you you really use your knowledge to judge the value of the player put your bids in you yeah how it would work technically i don't know but I would... yeah like how many shares do they give up and yeah. what price range and stuff yeah. i don't know i'm sure we learn about that but anyway ipos kind of don't be getting too excited about them in the short term later in the summer uh quality news sources tabloid free with the star i have there not necessarily tabloid free but based on the media review that's that's something based on their surveys that they're going to look into apparently the thing that pissed people off most was that these tabloids that post 10 15 stories in a player in a day yeah. bullshit stories what people wanted more was quality news sources so Adam Cole then said, potentially tabloid-free. How'd you feel about that? I thought oh, that sorry, be... just to tie into that, sorry, my next point, sorry. media review later mm. this summer. So that'll be later this summer. I felt like, so I think he almost doubled down on the tabloid-free comment pretty quickly in a reply. I think that probably slipped out wrongly. I don't think he probably meant tabloid-free. I think he probably meant restricted or, you know, just find a, find a way of doing it. Um, but yeah, clearly they've done a survey. Um, the customers and the traders have fed back to them what they think. They, they have to react somehow by doing some sort of media review. Uh, that would be a big one, wouldn't it? Because I think there's a lot of money invested in your certain half a dozen players who get those repeat articles, you know, Neymar, Ronaldo, Sancho, Bruno, etc. I don't know if anyone's done any analysis to show what difference it would make if you suddenly, say, for instance, took out the Express or took out whoever and sort of like they'd still be high wouldn't they they're still gonna be the most talked about players but maybe not winning as often as they do now so it would, it would have a big impact on some of those big investments at the top end of the market and i think football index will know that and they'll be very wary of changing it too dramatically um but they've got you know i think it's safe traders are actively feeding back to them and they've said we don't really like this they've got to do something about it mm. and maybe if they're going to do something that's going to piss people off they'd couple up with a dividend increase so yeah could be a very big summer at some stage god knows i mean when that is when that'll be <laughs> yeah will it be july will it be august will it be start of september like who knows it says summer you have to imply probably august but yeah. uh the next thing just i took there was a question about transfer dividends will they be continued the share split is it in the plans uh with sancho hitting nearly 15 quid someone said and team of the week team of the month dividend not priority yeah, so or the team of the week or team of the month type dividend, and what he said is it's none of those are a priority, and they also in a different tweet said that there's no plans for transfer dividends. So maybe the transfer dividend doesn't look likely to come back. If you're looking at those eighty ninety p players, you could get a transfer. It's not saying it won't come back, but it doesn't look likely. Um, and the share split's not really in the thinking at the minute. 
uh, or the team like the longer term dividend is not a priority. That's what I would take from a couple of comments I've seen them. Yeah, somewhere. I think going back to the the comms side, I think the two. I mean, they're again, they're a they're a growing company with an active marketing budget. They're investing more and more. They're trying to attract different sorts of traders. They need to be doing different. They can't just stick with what they got and not do anything because people will get bored of it. They need to keep refreshing it. For me, the transfer did. Dividend and the super match day points was just, they were they were kind of trials weren't they do they work do traders like it I felt neither was particularly communicated that clearly or understood there were you know they they released statements and then within two minutes they had four or five key questions they hadn't really answered in their release and their statement or their their terms and conditions which traders picked up on um, but they're going to keep doing these things and in play dividends was that what eighteen months ago that was one of those things let's give it a try to see how it works it's gone really well with the market so we've kept it and that'll be something else i guess at, you know another point in time uh, i think with these things again going back to the comms side i think one of the problems football index has is that they don't actively trade their own money on the product and every time they do anything whether it's a press statement whether it's a product release whether it's a dividend review whatever it might be there are people who are trading who are probably more knowledgeable about how the app works and how the system works. They're more knowledgeable about the impact that might have on their portfolio at top players, bottom players, prices, etc. And that's actually a little bit of a problem for FI, I think, is that their clients and their customers know more than they do about the impact of what they do. And I don't know how you really get around that without having sort of someone employed there who's got 100 grand of his own money in there and understands market trading and everything else. It's a tricky one because they almost certainly don't spend anywhere near as much time on their apps as we do. Yeah, and that yeah, hundred percent agree. They dip in maybe there might be someone who dips in once or twice a day to check it's working all right, but they don't check players, they don't look at movements, they don't review why that player's gone up by five P or up down by five P in the way the traders do. And I think that that's a problem they somehow need to think about resolving in future comms is you know, what are all the questions we're gonna get asked about this? If we're doing this on transfers what impact is it going to have on a 90p player? What what dates we need to think about? What's it going to do to a player who's up for sale now? Yeah, all those bitty questions that we all think about within 20 minutes, they don't seem to think about fully with my, with my view on how they do things. I think a lot of that, yeah, because, I mean, they have whatever, 85, 90 employees last time I heard. It could be more by now, it could be less with the whole COVID thing, but they, I know what you mean. Because I doubt, like, they aren't really allowed to trade other than play money on their yeah. app. And I talked to Dan Neal and I talked to Joe Briggs, and neither of them really give a fuck about the, the play money. Because why would you? I know, exactly. That's completely yeah. fair. You but, wouldn't, like... like playing some poker uh, with $5 million, isn't it? You don't care if you lose it. It's just... Yeah, you don't care. You'll go all in. Like, who cares? You just buy. I think Joe Briggs had bought all, put all his money into James Justin or something. Yeah. And, but, like, they, they aren't... Well, they understand Football Index as a concept really well, and they understand their yeah. particular part of the company really well. And... That's their job at the end of the day. I wonder are there people within that company whose job it quite it is to just scan social media, read the sentiment of the market, see where people's heads at, troll through the forum, trade a bit of an account and try and have a goal to try and make it to a certain amount to give them an, I don't know, like incentives. Like if you can get this up to this much, you know, you get a bonus just to, so that there is some sort of incentive to make them yeah. want to know and do well. On a managed this could account, sound like yeah. absolute bollocks yeah. to some, but I think it makes a bit of sense. Because I think that the issue they might have is if you had like an independent kind of trading, I don't know, trading group of people, there's a word for that, like a group of people anyway who are traders who would independently sort of feedback yeah. on certain things that Football Index might want to suggest. The issue there is that these people are getting inside information then yeah. and they can take that 
quite literally just from the question. So if I get 10 random traders around and be like, what do you think of the media dividends? Would it be better if we did X? What if we did Y? Then you can take from that a lot of stuff and I don't know. So they can't really do that because it would, it's kind of like insider trading. Yeah, is it? yeah definitely. Yeah. So they kind of need to have a creative way to have a bit of a better knowledge of the market and where it's at. Yeah. And this might sound like two decades in a podcast telling people what next. <laughs> they need to know more about their own product, but I think a lot of people would agree with that. No, 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 no you know, they generally do a very, you know, 95% of what we do is very, very good. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt about that. But I think, you know, I'm not criticizing them there, but it's just not possible. If you've got your own money and your own savings or whatever it might be, invested in something, and you're looking at the app 10, 15, 20 times a day and working out what price movements, you can't have the depth of knowledge that traders have got. And I think the secondary issue to that is the customer services team clearly haven't got the knowledge of the terms and conditions rules yeah. that they should have. And there are an awful lot of traders out there who know an awful lot more about rules than the customer services team do. And that, that seems to be an issue with the general responsiveness or the lack of clarity when they sometimes get questions. But I think it's got a bit better the last few months. I feel it has. I feel there's fewer complaints on Twitter and stuff about the CS account, but I don't find they're very responsive personally. They you know, get tagged in a lot and don't really reply. Uh, I think if you go to them directly, they maybe are. But again, like expiry dates is a big one. You see some people asking about expiry dates and one person says, oh, we're not using them. And then someone else talks about it being three years ago. Yeah, but even within a team, there seems to be disparity between what we say. Mm. Yeah, that's not ideal. The next one is to try and get through these. We will announce, uh, this is a quote, we will announce dividends for next year and any changes to media later this summer. Again, I'm kind of just mentioning the same about the media, but dividends for next year will be announced later in the summer. Does it imply that he's saying dividends for next season will be announced? I think I'm maybe looking at this a bit too like optimistically or a bit too positively kind of i'm thinking oh he's saying they'll be announced that means that they must improve which is bullshit because in another thing i said the pb matrix is for for review no guaranteed change it's kind of like the dividends could be reviewed but there's no guaranteed change but i mean i'd be surprised if they didn't increase hmm. you know i don't think that's yeah, a surprise I think... I think everyone's been bigging it up and i think it would be a disappointment if it's not but what i worry is that everyone's just assuming there's a dividend increase and maybe Football Index didn't have it in their plans at all, but everyone just keeps assuming and keeps talking about it. And of course they will. And Yeah, I think it's, it's been an increase each year, has there, roughly? Yeah. An annual increase of some sort? I'm think, surprised if it didn't happen. Yeah, I would be. I think, the, I mean, split the two things out there, because I, again, when I first saw the communication, I saw him say that they'd review the PB matrix. I, I thought that wasn't new news. I thought he'd said that last time. And then again, look chatting to people on Twitter, you kind of realise, oh no, we didn't say that. They said they'd review dividends every summer. So that was really, last September when they, or August, whenever they did it, they clearly stated they would review that dividend table every year. So that's be a dividend review every summer. But the dividend is obviously different to the PB matrix. And I think that's where people have got a bit, suddenly a bit nervous on cross-stitch and trend to barrel crossing. But um, I don't, yeah, why shouldn't I? People want their long-term bet to stay the same, but then they equally want dividend increases and, deposit bonuses and everything else so i think sometimes there's a lot of element of people want to sort of have their cake and eat it and have all the positive things but not not have the other elements um i'd be surprised if the pb matrix changed i think i think like you i'd be surprised if we didn't have a pretty sizable dividend increase to one degree or another um what we don't know obviously is what budget they had in place for euro 2020 in terms of dividend payouts how that compares to what we've had to do on media madness obviously what they're now going to have in the next two months. I think there's going to be a lot of trading in the next two months that they wouldn't obviously normally expect in 
late June, July, August, early August. Um, so their budget would have swung around like almost any other company in this time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they got to work out what, what's available, what's free, what they can do. Um, but yeah, I think I'd be surprised if they didn't have some sort of review. I'm guessing it'd be August now, ahead of a Premier yeah. League start. From a financial standpoint, another point he said, and I don't think I actually have it written down here, but said something like this year's um, marketing budget will dwarf all other years combined. Yeah. Which, and where do you see the index in five years? 10x is what he said. So yeah, they obviously have big plans and you don't go into that marketing campaign or whatever without the dividends being increased from what they are currently based on prices in the market. Is that f- maybe? I don't know. Maybe um, the prices of the market are kind of re- reflective of the dividends on offer. I don't know. I think, again, I think the marketing budget is obviously for the good of us all. You know, the more investors come in, the more money comes in, our portfolio improves anyway because there's more money in it. So I, I can see there being an ar- argument that, you know, the increase in marketing budget is actually for us anyway. Um, do, does a new person need a dividend increase? Well, they don't really. They don't know what they get now versus what they might get in the future. I don't think they need the increase. I think it would be more of a stimulation thing for existing traders and, you know, there's been a lot of comparison made, hasn't there, between what um, I think it was Neymar got pre-share split, you know, his percentage return at 23 quid or whatever versus what Sancho's getting now. Um, you know, are they still at that level yet? Yeah, there's there's so much into it, there's so many numbers to look at and so much to review. And I think, again, you speak to five big traders and they'll all have a slightly different view on it anyway. So there's no right answer. They just got to get judge a balance of the market, see what money they spent and gained over summer with all the changes and work out what they can do but i'd be surprised if there wasn't some sort of increase uh the danger is if it's not 57 percent is everyone just gonna be pissed off anyway you know it's crazy but you know, yeah 40 percent dividend increase and people are gonna be disappointed yes yeah because i mean like a 25 percent would be great but people are like 25 yeah. Like, yeah exactly do you know um so yeah i suppose the bottom line is there that the dividends for next year will be announced later in the summer and the pb matrix will be up for review no guaranteed change uh, is what he said. So they're going to have a look at it. They might or might not change it. Uh, NASDAQ, hopefully for the new season, so hopefully late summer too. Uh, the n- next order book phase could be done next week. Now, take this with a pinch of salt, what I'm saying here. Listen to the whole phrase first before you get excited. The next order book phase could be done next week, but they will p- purposely <laughs> delay so as not to overwhelm the market is kind of the, the thing. He was saying like their tech team would have it out next week yeah. if they were allowed to. But they're going to just slowly introduce this. So what I take from that is like they're ready to fucking rock. They just don't want to overwhelm everyone. They want to give people a bit more time with the bidding and this matching engine as it currently is. And then they'll go on to the next step. So I don't know when it's going to happen. But what he did also allude to was that the next step will be uh, offers. So setting target sell prices. Um, that that's the next thing and in that same tweet I think he also said the ne- the other next thing will be sort of general housekeeping smaller bits and tidying up the website yeah Um. so yeah. all those bios and prospectuses and all this bullshit around P- the website P&L you mentioned didn't yeah. you so I think the next two things that we see is probably those smaller bits of housekeeping tidying up the app and tidying up numbers and, and figures and words on the site and bringing in phase two of this matching engine the offers set and target sale prices um, so that's what I see coming next. Yeah, I think setting said. setting sell prices above the current buy prices could be quite key. You know, people know what they want to make out of a player. They can just sit there, lock it in, take what they want. Um, that will add a lot of liquidity, I guess, naturally, because you've got shares available when you want them. But again, I guess, you know, if traders are doing that, do FI 
mine the shares in the same way that they want to. You know, again, there's a lot of balance sheet stuff for them to look at. You know, what the effect of that is versus you know the, the trader impact, I guess. Um, but I think for me, I mean, again, as you said in your lead on the Twitter, I'm not an experienced trader. I haven't worked markets. I've never really been on much on Betfair other than the sort of standard standard bet. I don't really understand a lot of how all that sort of stuff works. And order books for me were. I was a bit apprehensive. I kind of know, you know, I know a buy price, I know a sell price. I worked out what instant sell meant. Um, I think what they've done with this has been fantastic. So I think for, you know, a trader like myself who does it for a bit of fun, a bit of part-time stuff, doesn't delve in too deep, it's fairly clear. And I'm not 100% sure how all the IS prices work and what I'm bidding on, how that affects averages and all that sort of stuff. But you're getting a feel for it. You're getting a bit of an understanding as to what is possible. Um, I think what the next phase for us is to really work out what what players are affected at which times with the matching engine you know it's a lot of the high players high price players i think have worked well the lower price players have maybe had a sort of bottom fall out of their is price and traders starting to worry about what they're going to do with their 32 year old left back from spain who suddenly has an is price of 10p you know it's that's probably the phase that needs a bit of flattening out but i'm sure it will come one way or another yeah I think the, the being able to bid the other way and offer, I suppose not bid, but being able to offer the other way will will help with those lower price players because I don't know there might be a bit less of a at the minute it's very this is where the bids at you can instant sell or you don't have to it's up to you mate and it's mm. kind of almost like a buyer's market in many ways maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm talking out of my arse here it's proper traders laughing at me <laughs> but whenever the sellers can also kind of say all right you know I'm not gonna come and meet you at sixty p. But you'll give me seventy, it won't you? Maybe you're you're kind of getting to that stage where people mightn't have to take the big hit; they can kind of take a little bit of the hit because they can they can kind of bounce off each other. And what yeah. it also might do is things like Twitter and the forum and stuff. There'll be a bit of bartering going on. There'll be a lot of kind of you want some of this, I'll give you them for this much, you know. And I think that's yeah, going to yeah. be a nice dynamic, yeah. and it'll be good for I don't know, just people actively talking about the market, and it'll be good publicity as well. Maybe I, I just think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's been a good thing generally, hasn't it? It's it's stimulated the market. It's got the big traders certainly active and put more money in and seeing value in certain players. And I think you know, again, you can go and pick up Neymar for twenty p less than he is, and yeah, if, if that's what you're interested in, you're not worried about the depth of it and the the player who's ranked four thousandth on the matrix, you can still make some money on it. And you know, people are using it actively. Again, I'd love to know how what proportion of traders are actually using it. I, I do think you live in a bit of a Twitter bubble and Facebook bubble if you're on these groups. And there's a few thousand very active traders who know their ins and outs. There's a few tens of thousands who probably don't. And they're the ones who come on and question what an IS price is and question how you cancel a bid and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's a lot more of those than people realise. So yeah. I wonder what proportion are actually using it properly. Mm. I think, yeah, that's important. Everyone who's on these social medias, you instantly have an edge. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have an edge. Anything you can do to educate yourself in the market, yeah. you have an edge. Because there's a lot of people who just don't do any of it and have the app and sit alone. No, absolutely. play around with it. Yeah. Um, look, we move on to some questions. Uh, there was yeah. a lot of good good points there, but I think we went through it quite thoroughly. Was there anything you think I missed? No, I think, again, I think marketing has been really key, really key. I think that's a big one for us. Um and again, they're obviously really focused on NASDAQ and order books. I think that's their key. And again, that's been a consistent message for six months now, six, nine months. That's been their, their main focus. And I felt the, there was a lot of criticism of the Q&A generally, initially. Oh, but, yeah, that's fair. Sorry, we didn't delve into yeah, how received. There was yeah, a lot of reaction, man. a lot of reaction. Yeah. And yet, within 12 hours, it seemed to have all settled down. Mm. So what was your, how do you think it went? So I was kind of half, 
it was a sort of last sunny evening, wasn't it? The forecast. So I was out in the garden having a barbecue, kids running around, half watching notifications flash up on Twitter. So I wasn't looking at the depth of it, looking at all of it. I thought he was quite clear on most things. I mean, you, you kind of wander onto Twitter and see the reaction. I was quite shocked at how negative some people's reactions were. And I, yeah, I chatted to a few and understood the, their rationale and why they were maybe concerned at the lack of clarity in some areas. But again, I think it comes back to, you know, if you want him to be corporate and make a corporate statement once a year or once every six months, then you lose that, that insight. If you want him to be open and engaging, come on Twitter and answer questions from traders... I think you've got to accept he's not going to have every single answer exactly how you want it at every point in time. You know, I think it's a constantly moving beast and I think you'll decide which one you want more. And I personally prefer this way where you've got a bit of an indication. Um, but again, I think it's fair judgment. They've got to understand what is a more corporate statement. And if going into Germany with non-pooled liquidity is a great thing for football index company, then that's great. Make it as a corporate type announcement. Don't tease it out on Twitter and via Q&As and stuff, you know, you've got to separate those things out and answer, you know, not, not get in the mire in those things. But I felt it was actually okay. And I say the market seemed to suffer initially. I wasn't even looking, to be honest, that evening. I looked back the next morning and it was all back to where I thought it was going to be. So there doesn't seem to be a massive long-term impact from what I can see. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think the initial reaction was very much why do the Q&A at all if you don't have the answers. Yeah. We got absolutely nothing out of that you know if you're going to do it time it so that you have answers and blah 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 but at the same time i get what you're saying i mean you can't have your cake and eat it i mean you can't have them as this corporate thing with loads of answers but also be talking to the the ceo and founder on the twitter message you know it's kind of like yeah yeah i i you know i i think we went through a lot there and you know while you can say not a lot we they didn't give us much or any concrete answers They've kind of given us time frames to expect some of these answers. They give us a few things like tier PB is if it wasn't already knocked out of the park, it's gone. You know, forget about it. So there's a few things that were tidied up. So I do think some good came of the the Q and really do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. In terms of market reaction, I actually wasn't watching it at all. So I I don't think it was that negative. A it mustn't have been. It must have been a small blip if neither of us really clocked it or watched it too much. Um. But yeah, look, no, thanks for reminding me. We didn't even react to how it was received. Uh, we'll move on to some questions now. Are you okay for 10 or 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Said we keep it to an hour. I don't think we're ever going to be able to do that. Um, Index, Belter, all right, me, Babber, what is your favourite proper Zyder? Thatcher's Katie for me because it's proper Gert Lush in it. I assume that's something to do with Bristol, is it? Yeah, it's full Bristolian there, yeah. All right, me, Babber. What, what's yeah. the, give me the accent there and let me try it. I'll talk away. All right, me, Babber. Gert proper lush that is. Gert proper lush that is. All right, me babber. Where's Bristol? Is it north? Sorry. Is Bristol like north or south of England? South. 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 Yeah. Yeah. West I'm country. Not... Farming land. Nice ciders down there. Oh, proper Thatchers is from just south of Bristol, so yeah, Thatchers is sort of home of cider, as a lot of people see it. I think there's so a guy. There, yeah. I don't know if he listens to this podcast. He's definitely on the foodstock side of my content. Ross and I think he's going to send me some cider over. Oh, nice! Yeah. So we, it's funny because we, we're sort of renowned for the cider drink. So whenever we uh, whenever we go to away grounds, if we have a big following. You sell out a cider. They sell out a cider an hour before kickoff in the in the stadiums because they don't expect it. But you have all this you know shitty lager that no one really wants, and they sell out of their strongbow or whatever. You end, you end up drinking dark fruits, something rubbish or other that yeah. not <laughs> particularly like, but you kind of have to have it. So uh, yeah, quite renowned for it. 
Um, our club's Twitter is even doing a Thatcher's World Cup this week and voting on all the different Thatcher's brands <laughs> and which one's best. Uh, that's, how, uh, that's how yokel we all are. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, if anyone's from over there wants to send me some, please do. John Wick FI Investor, why Bristol City over Bristol Rovers? No answer to that, is there? It's only one choice. Oh, boom. Now, fam- fam- family's all lifelong city fans, family. And uh, south-, south of the city, you tend to support city. North of the city, traditionally, more Rovers. Um, I'm from the south and Somerset side, so, yeah, no-brainer for us. Yeah. Um, I suppose that's the way it is with most people supporting teams, isn't it? It's where you're from. I think so, yeah. Your family. Especially the local ones, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not normally like a choice you sit down and write out pros and cons for either. It's normally <laughs> just, you know, you know, you know before, like, before you even support football or care about football, you probably know which team you support. Findex Game, Matt, how would you simplify FI in a 30 second TV ad? Is it even possible? Did you see their recent ad? Now, this was probably a month or two ago, but I think it was a bit of an improvement on their previous one. I forget when it was, but they did an ad recently. Yeah. And I thought it was very concise and very good at explaining. Yeah. So I, I look back at, I, look, I saw the question. I look back on the last two. There's one in August and one in January. Um, I think first, so again, if you, from a marketing point of view, whenever you do anything, you've got to know what target audience you're trying to hit. So if you're out there trying to hit your Paddy Power punters, then you go one way. If you're trying to hit your traders and your city index sort of people, then you're going to go a different way. You've got to, they're going to have different values they associate with what they want to do with a product. They're going to have different reasons for joining. So it's tricky, I think, to do a 30-second ad that, that sums it all up. Um, I think, for me, the August one, it was the one where they went into the stadium and they had the old sticker books and stuff, and they were kind of playing on the emotions a little bit of loving football. And it, I think it did that bit well, um, but I think it got it was a bit flaky as to what it actually was. It 30 seconds, and I think they mentioned Football Index after 25 seconds, so you weren't quite sure what the ad was until the end. They didn't really mention dividend payouts. They didn't mention a lot of that stuff. And it, as a good pull on the heartstrings a little bit, going back to that raw emotion of why you start watching football, black and white footage, all that sort of stuff. Um, January was the one where we really talked about you get capital appreciation, you get dividends, your knowledge of football can make you money um, a lot clearer. It was the woman standing up, was it? Woman standing up talking about it, I think. Um, again, I thought that was really clear. It was clear what Football Index is, what you can do with it, in 30 seconds, you know, what, what, why you might want to join is, was pretty much there. I guess the key is to try and mix those two up. If you can tug on the emotions and also explain to people you can make some money out of this without making it too much like an investment ad, I think that's probably way, the way it works. But I did think the last one was very good indeed. Um, you've got to make sure you're clear what the product is. You've got to make sure you're not just seen as Betfair or another betting site. They've obviously got to make sure they're not seen as an investment angle um so it's a tricky it's a tricky balance but i said i agree that last advert was pretty strong i felt mm. um we move on to the next question i think that's a nice summary of the ads unless is, is there anything you would do different or do you think that was a good effort i guess i've seen three tv ads i think in my time and i think they're all quite different and i guess from a branding point of view that's maybe a challenge. You know, you might see something back in April with John Watson talking about something or other, and then you see something else in August with a different angle on going through turnstiles and collecting stickers, and then you see a woman standing up talking about dividends. You're like, from a brand awareness point of view, what, what are we looking at here? What is it? Uh, yeah, that for me is a two to three year brand building piece. So they need to be absolutely crystal clear on what it is they're trying to build, what they're trying to achieve, and who they're trying to target to have a more steady focused view on what they're advertising and how they're doing it and again you can do different if you're then 
going on to London Underground and seeing the posters up, you want that to match what you've seen on the telly. So if that's that woman standing up with a clipboard saying you can make money, you want to see her on that London Underground ad. So that's you've got that recognition going on. I think there's a lot. Again, they're still trying a lot of stuff. They're, they're testing a lot of things, I guess. And I, yeah, you do test in media, but I think they've got to be a little bit more tunnel visioned on what they're trying to achieve with their branding and their and their focus. But they're they're not not bad by any means. It's, I think it's very good. It just you know, I that last advert was the one I would show someone if I wanted to tell them what football index was. So maybe consistency for brand yeah. recognition would be. Yeah, definitely. FI Chaz should do very well on FI being a marketing pro. What's your best pump? So market the best player you can to us. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, I, uh, so I'm on Facebook a lot, and um, someone asked, someone had, yeah, you get that sort of thing all the time. Use the best pump, and I actually picked one up a few four or five months ago. It was uh, Orsolini, uh, Bologna, I think. And um, I, I looked into his stats. And I showed his average and his best PB, and he just got in the Italian team and at 19 and primed for a move and I, I put all this stuff out on Facebook and the bloke came back to me and said oh thanks very much he looks a star and I looked back and went bloody hell why don't I own more of him and I went and bought another few hundred so I just looked at that and went yeah he's everything <laughs> you I sold want. yourself so I, when, you, when you do that and you can convince yourself to buy someone more when you pump someone I think that's a good sign but um I did I don't mind a pumping thing I think you're if someone asks you for your views on a player you're not really going to pump someone you don't hold because if you don't hold them, you don't rate them for some yeah, reason. You got doubt. Exactly. So you, you're always going to pump your players and probably the ones you got most holdings in because that's that's why you've got most holdings in them. So I don't, I don't have a huge issue. I think you just got to take pumps, take advice, look into them. Then does it fit with your strategy? Does it fit with your portfolio? Are there better options out there? And just take your own decisions. I find that hard from the podcasting standpoint because I feel like there's mm. almost this moral obligation where I can't go and say. Sancho is the best player in the world or yeah. anyone I just pick Sancho because he's the highest priced player but like I can't just go and pump but at the same time a lot of questions are aimed at who do you like the most or who do you think's good value or who do you think this about and it's like look I mean if I'm going to give you an answer I probably own that player because yeah if they're my answer, why wouldn't I own that player? It's yeah. just this hard one. So I, that's why on this podcast, I can't tend to just be like, look, listeners, take it with a pinch of salt. Do you know, do your own research, blah, 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 all the disclaimers. We're going to talk about players and we're, we're going to pump and de-pump and hate people and love people. Um, But yeah, I think that is a good sign. I suppose if you can if you can pump a player to yourself to the point that you want to withdraw everyone yeah. in your bank account and buy them, it's probably a good sign. Um, so Finn has asked opinions on a one player portfolio ballsy yeah um, you, you can see that I guess if if that's your style I, I, I don't think you want to put too much money into that I guess if you've got a thousand pound and you can kind of do about it that might be the way to go but yeah, if you really want to spot the next rise and you think that you know Rashford is the next one to boom stick it a thousand pound to Rashford get your pound rise come out sticking to the next person it, it keeps it simple you get very focused i guess uh, on your investment but phew, broken leg or a you know a, a, a bad a bad transfer go wrong or something like that and you're yeah you're yeah probably about that amount of money i wouldn't want to stick 100 grand to one player personally but yeah but sell them would be a problem thousand pound maybe you could see how that might be uh you know might be a, an interesting way of doing it if i won the euro millions i guarantee you right see if i won 100 million lads i will take 10 15 of that and i'll be an absolute shit house. i will just dick around in the market 
I'll buy someone like I don't know some Mexican defender and push him to one eighty. Do you know like thirty <laughs> six year old just to be a dick? Get him talk um, about trending list for days on end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think the the thing with a one player portfolio is it, it goes back to that kind of graph I have in my head of like what are you here for? One or two reasons. It's it's kind of like how much are you here for money and how much are you here for entertainment. If you're here hmm. for entertainment, absolute disaster of an idea. Yeah. If you're here for money, and you have a bit of a large risk appetite, the, the largest of risk appetites. Why not go for it? You know, if you if you would legitimately bet your left nut that this player is going to rise, I mean, but why things not? happen again, don't they? I, think, I say is it. I so back in March, I managed to persuade my ex-wife that football index was worth investing in, and she's given me five hundred quid to dabble for her, <laughs> which is a brave move, but shows my confidence, I guess, in a product. But I think it's February, March time, and I I basically said right, five hundred quid, five players, hundred pound each, keep it really simple sign some players that I haven't got in my port just to see how they go. And I, I was like, oh, you know, it's February, March. I'm going to buy these IPD players, make some dividends, reinvest them, you know, go for the youngsters in the summer. So I bought up Danny Ings and Jamie Vardy. They're on fire scoring goals. Football's cancelled and those guys just haven't moved in three months. And, you know, it looks as out. And I think that's the danger of having a, such a small port is you just got no scope. And I couldn't instant sell them. It wasn't worth it. So I've just been stuck with these players in that port for for two and a half months now and waiting now really for them to you know hopefully get a game and get a goal you know in a couple of weeks time and take the opportunity to sell them up but uh, I think that's that's the big issue of a small port is you just don't know what can happen to affect the you know the prospect of their their success yeah exactly one player there's a million things that can happen there can be allegations made there can be early retirements it could be transfers you didn't foresee there can be yeah. so many things that happen it's so high risk but again if your risk appetite is such and you're happy to take the chance that you know you could lose 20 30% and you'll rinse it off you'll sell them go on to the next one rinse and repeat and you feel that you're a good enough trader you can make money over time why not i just think mm. it'd be very very bored but again it's all about risk appetite and know the risks um football index j dog actually replied to that and just said boring as fuck <laughs> short and simple to the point um okay we've a couple more here we're going too quickly the CWT glory years. Good luck, pal. Question. Has the platform made buying non-elite level players much less appealing now? The potential players, Masengo types, seem much more punty with a 25% spread in them. Is the platform basically geared now to top level players? I think that's certainly been my main impression of the initial stages. Um, there's obviously some canny traders out there who are actively buying up the lower end because the spreads are so big, and understandably so. Um I think the, the risk is, or I think the, the bit I haven't really seen squared away is, is, say, the older players suddenly seem a real risk. You know, if you're buying a... So I, for instance, I, I've marked, I've matched um, Dimitri Payet. You know, League One's not on, but, you know, he's a good buy for it in theory when he comes back. I bought, it, I think, 71p, he's worth 87. I stuck them straight on market sell to try and make a profit. And they're sitting there at the moment, he's not moving, but I'm hoping they might move. He can move to China next month. And, you know, I know that's always the risk with it, but I guess what, what they're trying to get to there is that, you know, with a lower, with a lack of demand for some of these lower priced players, you run a real risk of never being able to shift them. Whereas even Paye, if that had been the old style, he'd have probably been IS at sort of 77 now. You see a quick China rumour, you get on and sell as quick as you can. That's not going to be possible now. So I think, I guess there's an element of that. I think for the for the better traders with more data, with more feel, there's a real opportunity down the end to really pick up some massive bargains and you know go shopping at the 40, 50, 60p mark and 
make a lot of money on someone who then just scores a goal or keeps a clean sheet or you know whatever they do. But I think I I wouldn't buy many older players right now. I must admit until I see how it pans out. So I did very well on Rooney. Um, October time when it was announced he was coming back to Derby, I bought in about 52, 53p. He rose to 90. Didn't quite sell in time and sold most of mine for sort of 75 to 80p. Um, I then bought back in when Derby drew my United in the Cup at 70 odd p and got again about 85p. So I did, I did two active trades on Wayne Rooney, knowing there was a risk of him being 32, but knowing he'd pick up media, etc. Not sure I do that now, just in case again he had that injury or something went wrong, or you know, you, if you haven't got that outlet which you once had, and all the spread is so massive compared to what it used to be, it's probably more of a risk than it was then. Well, a recent story kind of like that is is Odin Agallo. It's yeah, you know, he he literally his his sell price went. No one yeah. was willing to buy, and then someone was willing to buy at the lowest bracket, like the lowest, like the, what is it, thirty or forty percent off his price, mm. like ninety eight p when he's at one sixty one seventy, and no one would buy, no one would buy, and you could have scooped up loads of them for the bottom yeah. price, yeah. and now he's staying. So there's opportunity there, but it's also risky, Absolutely. and it's it's a tough one. Brave. Those players that could go to China, you know. Quite often those deals fall through. Ever Benega, we've seen it last summer. Do you know what happens? So I don't know. There's, I think with time will tell. I think it's a strange time to judge the bottom end. And I think a lot of players who are down there, their spreads might be different. They might be they might be mid season. I think it's important if you're buying at that end, get someone who could explode. Don't get someone who's a nice average PB score yeah. or someone who you yeah. kind of like or think there's a bit of sentiment about or some bullshit. Get someone who can be explosive, someone who can shoot a big PB score, someone who can win media, someone who can go and punch a granny and win. Do you know, they get someone who is explosive that when the time comes, you'll be able to sell the market and make yeah. yeah. your money back. If you're yeah. if you're going to be banking on that sell price, you need to be pick, picking someone that people will want to buy. I think going back to the IPD market, though, there's an opportunity there. You know, I bought some, you know, some of the strikers from Spain who are good at IPDs, you know, around the pound mark. And I think that's, that isn't, obviously at the moment there's no football happening except in Germany. I think once the football starts again, it'd be interesting to see how those IPD type players are bought. Because I think you can get some real bargains then. You know, again, I bought back into Vardy myself. Um, I bought back into Gerard Marino. You know, players like that who might go and score three goals in three games and rise by 30p. I bought into them quite a d- decent price off their, their market price. And it's a bit of a risk because they might not score. But, that's it's increasing your IPD benefit, I think, at that level of the market as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, we go for one more question. We have a couple here. Let me see. Um, Bob's your uncle. I'm sorry, we're not going to get to your question, Gardner. We kind of covered your question, so I'm not going to ask him. When do you think phase two? I think Adam Cole kind of alluded to that. Last one, just to wrap it up, a bit of a pumpy one. Barry Dardis. Quick question: One player in each position in the Liga or the Premiership that junior guests believe will rise most in capital appreciation throughout the season's finishing, as we've seen some huge rises in Bundesliga players now with them restarting. For him, it would have to be Sergio Reguilon. Reguilon. That's just he. He just wanted an opportunity to pump out Barry there, but um, I have to say that mightn't actually be a bad shout for the defender position if I had to pick. Yeah. Um, and again, everyone, we just said it about five minutes ago. Pinch of salt, do your own research, blah blah blah. We could be so so wrong. It, it's unbelievable. But um, if you had to pick a few players wrapping up their season, each position, who would you who would you go for? Um, so I think for me again, it's not necessarily just about how they come back in their first two games. But if you're looking at who's going to make you money and be high priced in mid August, you've still got to be, I think, a little bit focused on transfers and you know future possibility as well. So I think Regulon's a great shout. Um, I'd say. Um, Odegaard 
in midfield. He's risen a lot nice, you know, at the moment still, but there's a prospect of whether he goes back to Madrid or not, what he does next year, which should, should keep him rising. Uh, David Brooks is another one, I think, you know, who hasn't been seen for 12 months, a bit of a forgotten man. If he comes back firing for Bournemouth, he had links with Arsenal, Man United before, could be, uh, you yeah, if he comes back and scores a couple of goals, I can see his price, you know, potentially really exploding um, because of his potential. I think for me, the forwards are more the standard IPD type players or PB. So Danny Ings is 40, 50p off his, you know, peak in February. He's going to potentially come back and score a couple of goals. He might get a transfer link. England games will be coming back in September, possibly, where, you know, he might be picked for that. So, um, yeah, there's potential there. I think for me, I'm in Italy. I always look for Atalanta. I got Ilicic is a very low price for his PB scores. Their fullbacks are good prices normally, uh, Goosens and Castanier. Um, yeah, they're again a sort of one to free scoring team. If they got on and score a couple of goals and, and make an impact on a PB point of view, I think they could, uh, prospect of Champions League football again next year. Hopefully they could, uh, they could go well. Yeah, no, I, I think they're great. Sure, I think Atlanta, a lot of their players actually, I just, when you were chatting, I was looking them up. A lot of their players have dropped off quite a lot. I mean, like, I know, I know a few that it's an aging team in many ways, but. Alejandro Gomez there. We all know how explosive he can be there. His sell price is 103. You could come in with a wee bit there. He's really dropped. He's massively, massively dropped. dropped, yeah. What age is he at? And I trust an FA. He's a bit older, isn't 32. he? 32. Yeah. But I mean, like, all, all jokes aside, if he keeps up the levels he's had the last couple of seasons, now this is, I don't own him. But I mean, he could return. Would 30 or 40p in dividends be out of the question? No. No. You look at that, so they're still in the Champions League as well. They're fourth, they're fourth in Serie A, so they've got a very real prospect of Champions League next year. So I, I, Atalanta would be my kind of pet team since I started Football Index. I knew nothing about them 15 months ago. I know, I know a lot more about them yeah. now. And I think they're very well, they're very well priced. They just and they're free scoring, so they're fullback score, they're midfielder score. Ilicic has been the biggest PB, PB monster of the season, and he's still at 150, 160, I think. Um, but yeah, he's his yeah, age he's is obviously one, a factor. 55 sell, 167 buy, but he's 32 as well. Again, it depends how you want to trade. If you want to trade short term, I think there's certainly some value there and get out when they have a good score. Yeah. Well, look, that'll be interesting to see, I suppose, how Atlanta got on and how their, their activities in the transfer market, if they're looking to replace those older players, will they get the game time? But, I mean, if if Ilicic and Gomez both have a, a season like last, I mean, there is there is value there, 100%. Luis Muriel there, down 71p by 7 Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I, I was disclaimer to everyone. I'm sticking in a bit on Muriel right now. He hit a quit or something. He scored like a penalty or two in a game. Yeah, yeah. So I think him and Gomez have been a little bit in and out of the scene between each other. So I think that's probably why Gomez has dropped a bit. And yeah, there's some great, there's some great value there. I, I think still. Anyway, there you go. As I said last time, I'm saying it. Pinch of salt. Do your own research. Blah blah blah. Um, I suppose just before we wrap up, if you haven't left a review in the podcast, please do. I would really appreciate it if you left me a review. It helps a lot. And thank you for listening. Paul, do you want to tell us where people can find you if you want to be found? Yeah, no problem. So on Twitter, I'm at ExiledFI. Um, if you're really bored and want to follow me on uh, my normal Bristol City one, it's at the Exiled Robin. Very good. Well, people know where to find you now. Um, go and keep your eye out for some Bristol, Bristol City blogs. Maybe when big things happen. But, Paul, honestly, it's been a pleasure. I think there's a lot there for, for listeners. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you, John. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.